Counsel Podcast is a show dedicated to individuals and mental health professionals, providing support, information, and some candid conversations along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Michelle and Seth. Welcome to another month of mental with a whole new series this time around. Yeah, still the same anxiety and stress though. <laughs> yeah, yeah there, there, it does come with some anxiety yeah, and stress just, for just sure. Just a small amount, so. Just, 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 just a little, that, that's all. <laughs> yeah. And you know, I, I don't know that I've mentioned this on be- here before. I think Seth has encouraged me to. I spend a lot of time giggling <laughs> about the stuff that is not in any way because I find it humorous. That is an absolute nervous tick. <laughs> I I've, I don't know why I do it. I make I can't make it stop. I keep trying. Well, your excuse is very reasonable. If you're about no. to give me shit, don't. I'm not. <laughs> okay. That would be in your best I was, interest. I was tempted, but I'll I'll shy away. <laughs> you should probably I'll shy do away that. From that. Should I? <laughs> yeah, you should do that. Okay, I'm just having fun. <laughs> it's hun. been a day, so do that. Well. It it sounds like if you're sharing that it's been a day within the first two minutes <laughs> of our episode, I think that can only mean one thing. Yeah. Oh, I know. That means you're gonna make me go first because you I find absolutely. any little excuse you can to make me go first. That's the way you do things. You think I don't know oh, that? The way that I do things. It's the way you do things. <laughs> I will go then. Yes, you will. I will be. <laughs> I'll be the sacrificial lamb here. We're going to start our episode as we do all mental episodes. We're going to start off with a mental minute where we just check in on how we personally are doing. And then after we do this, we're going to jump into our subject matter, which is an overview on of child abuse as part of our trauma trial series this month. So I will first tell you about my life. (laughs) I needed to get a new dishwasher. Your mother's not doing the dishes anymore. Who? Your mother. That was below the belt. (laughs) I'm just saying, she cleaned your apartment way too much, and I'm going to have a discussion with her because you're a grown man. (laughs) It's like (laughs) once every four months. (laughs) Okay. Let's calm down. (laughs) All right. So an actual dishwasher. So my mother actually does come to my house every like once every four months and helps out. I mentioned it on one episode and here we are. It's yeah, but I hear around. it more often than not just well, than fair. the episodes. So okay. well, I have insider knowledge. Well, thank you for for airing my dirty outing, dishes. Outing you. I appreciate you doing so. <laughs> I I told my landlord and, and he was like, oh, absolutely. We'll get you a new dishwasher because it's it's been it's time. And. So he ordered a dishwasher, but I had plans. And so he gave me this timeline that I could fit, but then he changed the timeline and didn't tell me. And so I was going to be out of town. So I had to call them and I actually ended up canceling it for that day. They didn't end up coming back until Tuesday. They Mm. got here and then they're like, oh, well, whoever purchased this did not pay for install. So we can't actually (laughs) do anything. Here is a dishwasher. We'll just put it here in the living room and you can you can move it over yourself. Oh, my gosh. Now, do you see me? So I'm on my I'm on my stomach on the kitchen 
floor with a screwdriver, like, you know, doing randomly, what I need to randomly taking screws out of things. Yeah. Randomly <laughs> doing whatever I think I need to. And I like, I get, I get the dishwasher out from this hole. However, it is then hooked up with all of these like gold pipes and stuff. And I don't know how to do any of that. So then we get a repairman to come and look at the, the dishwasher as well as fixing the toilet, which continues to run. And I can't seem to get it to stop. She's got all kinds so of problems going on. That's a whole thing. So he comes, he comes, I think on Thursday and he look, takes one look at the dishwasher. It's like, oh, I can't do this. I don't have the proper tools. I got to do this. I got to oh do that. got to do this. I, I don't know how much is this going to cost. Da, 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 da. And I went, well, please. I'm not the one who's paying for this. Why are you? Don't communicate with me. Communicate <laughs> with my landlord. Thank you. He owns this building. Yeah. So he supposedly fixed the toilet. Supposedly. <laughs> Air quotes. So then he leaves and I was like, oh, well, this, thank God I have a, a fixed toilet. However, I now have an old dishwasher that's in the middle of the kitchen out from the, inside the hole. I've got a boxed up brand new dishwasher sitting at some monstrosity in the living room. And I found him like, well, at least I have a working toilet. So I laid, I sit down in my chair to like watch some true crime this week. And no, it's not fixed. <laughs> oh my God. I would not be able to deal with the hole in the wall and the appliances sitting it's everywhere. Not, I'd have a fit. It's not fixed. Oh, and the the uh, old dishwasher had a, like, you know, that styrofoam <laughs> stuff that goes around uh, it. Is Lizzie eating it? A 100%. There, my entire <laughs> living room was full of styrofoam, just little shreds and She's pieces having all so throughout much the house. <laughs> She's ha and I haven't decided to clean it. And I'm also letting the dishes build up because I'm oh mad my God. because I, so I'm not going to do the dishes. Yeah, you realize I, they won't do your dishes once they install the dishwasher, right? As some, I just have some to put penance. They won't do that. I just have to put the dishes in the dishwasher at that point and it will do all the work. So for you have me. all these dirty dishes sitting around. I do. I do. Oh my God. A toilet that's running cat shenanigans all over the place and i haven't taken out the trash it's sitting oh in the my god it's just been a week i take this it is... back let your mother come clean nobody Jay, should live thank like you. that there we are there we are so, i'm just gonna say if she comes though you should tell her to send her over here next <laughs> she probably does not appreciate me mentioning this so yeah that's <laughs> been my week i still do not have i was this was supposed to be done last saturday Oh. I'm still sitting around with all that stuff out. So anyhow, I would be losing my mind on that. I'm telling you. That's my mental minute. Yeah. Your yeah. turn. Ugh. Go. Okay. I don't even know what to mention. Well, first and foremost, I'm, I think we'll come back to this when it gets closer, but I got my book release date this week. Oh, so yes. that was exciting. That was exciting. It's supposed to be April 27th to the best of my knowledge. Um, I've had quite a few people send me messages telling me how excited they are and that they're definitely going to be buying it, which is good news. Let's just hope that actually happens. <laughs> I actually even shared it on Instagram, which I don't do. Instagram is just bodybuilding stuff. And I started getting all of these private messages from people on Instagram, like, oh my God, this sounds so good. This is a subject matter I've wondered about. Like people that like don't know me in that regard, they only know the bodybuilding mm -hmm. stuff. So mm -hmm. that was very satisfying as well. So we'll see how it all goes. Are the but podcasts calling yet? Uh, no. 
What do you mean are the podcast calling? What are you talking about? Well, I mean, given your... Oh, to be on the podcast? Given your fame and, and your oh, reputation. Fame. Jesus, I mean, I've already I had would this imagine, conversation. I would imagine every podcast would be calling your name. Nah, I've already had this conversation on most of them over the last couple of years. Well... <laughs> Exactly. And In now anticipation watch... of me actually writing the book. <laughs> Correct. So now it's time to have you back on to talk about uh, it actually being released. Uh, That's how that be works. The same story again. I don't, I don't know why it would be different, but podcasting material. Yeah. Well, I know that's true. You're right, yeah. but I don't know. We'll see. But it won't be until later this month. So I just all I got was the date. He he also sent me the interior, what it looks like with the forwards and the endorsements and all that fun stuff, and then the cover and my picture on the back and everything, which was really really cool. So. I was really excited and also a little sick to my stomach. So <laughs> in all yeah. honesty. Yeah. yeah. Have so. you had some anxiety about it with it? I've had anxiety this? about it ever since I started writing it. <laughs> like, right. Cause there's a lot of, I mean, it's, there's a lot of personal stuff in it and there's also, you know, the idea of what if everybody hates it? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if other authors feel that way. I feel like almost everybody would on their first writing venture, you know, that, that, that should be something that most people feel. So hopefully I'm normal. I don't I think know. you're normal. <laughs> we'll see. But for our listeners, what's mm-hmm. the name of the book and what's it about? Into the Gray. And mm-hmm. it is actually anecdotal. It's my story about deconstructing from religion. But mixed in there is also the hypothesis that it's a psychological process that mirrors the grief cycle, as well as a few other psychological situations like confirmation bias and a perceptive mass, which I thought was fascinating when I read about it and saw the correlation. So it's it's from a psychological perspective, but it is still very anecdotal. It's it's just what I went through personally mm-hmm. um, when I re, re, deconstructed religiously. I feel like there's more of the story, and that will probably be something I write about next. So we'll see. But again, I can't write about shit until I actually live it, and I'm in the middle of living it. So <laughs> I'm trying to decide what that's going to look like. So I actually talked with my therapist. I had a therapy appointment today. I actually talked with her about that today. And she was like, she's so cute. She's like, oh, I think you could write about this. And she gets all like, she gets up in her chair and she's like, Animated. I think you can write about this. And she starts going on and maybe from this perspective. And I was like, see, that's really cool. Somebody that's like way into it. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and because she's got that perspective, that psychological perspective, that's helpful as well because she can see those correlations the same way that I do. So that was, I thought that was cool, but anyway, but it was a rough therapy session. So I've, I've had an emotional afternoon and I told you I was exhausted. I got home. I was so exhausted. I just laid down and fell asleep for like two hours. I was so exhausted. So I don't normally do that. Well, I so. have good news. You do? Well, today we're talking about child abuse and that does not, <laughs> that is not the good news. Is it? That does not require too much emotion. Oh no, none at all. For the most, for the most part. Well. You know, I, I'll share this now because I think you mentioned yesterday that I should actually make a comment about this. We've been doing those li- those lived experience uh, interviews and things yes. like that. Yeah. And I'm literally every time sitting in my chair and it's happening right now, I'm fighting with feeling like I can't breathe. Mm. The anxiety level ramps up. And uh, I feel like as I'm talking, like I'm running out of air. <laughs> and I feel like, really? and I'm trying so hard to talk normally and not go... <sighs> Um, but that is actually happening. So if anybody sees me looking like I'm laboring to breathe, that's because I'm laboring to breathe. (laughs) And I I think it's a direct correlation with the subject matter, with the anxiety surrounding Mm -hmm. this kind of trauma stuff. So when those, when that happens, yeah, 
because that's a very that's a physical yeah. feeling I mean, that's a physical response mm-hmm. and so i am curious what the psychological what you're think what what are you thinking about when that happens what's the describe the feeling well like i said it feels like my chest gets real tight and like i can't get a full deep breath of air right so a couple things are happening on the intellectual side my brain is analyzing that and i'm recognizing it for what it is mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so i think i have a midbrain response going on my cerebral brain is entering the conversation like you know what this is <laughs> you know But coupled along with all of that is I'm incredibly claustrophobic Mm. and anything that makes me feel like I can't breathe increases panic. Mm -hmm. So I'm fighting down panic at the same time (laughs) Yeah, that all this is happening. And I'm trying to reason with myself, like you're sitting in a room, there's nothing closing in around you. You can breathe. This is just a response. So this is all happening. And on the other side of my brain, we're going, no, I'm dying. (laughs) So it's, it's an interesting little conundrum. Yes. Well, <laughs> I was curious if there was a specific thought that went along with it. Like, um, I don't know, or maybe a feeling like I'm thinking of when I have panic attacks, right? Mm-hmm. And when I have panic attacks, what I often experience is this feeling of dread or doom. And then like, mm-hmm. th- once yeah, that happens, that. it's just a downhill slope. But I just was right. curious if there was something specific that you were that was happening for example when we hear these stories are you thinking about your own personal experience yeah they come up yeah you know yeah like i said most of them of course you know the first one we did was incredibly yes difficult to listen to yes it was but i i think here's the thing and and again this is something i discussed with my therapist today uh as we were talking about the podcast part of it is because i'm empathic Mm -hmm. i'm picking up the emotion of the speaker and, and so I'm feeling all that. And that always feels like I've been hit in the chest. So I'm picking that up. Coupled with that is the idea that I'm identifying with what they're telling. Not, not Maybe not everything, but there'll be pieces of it that I'm actually identifying with and remembering and correlating to something that I experienced. So it does bring up that, that trauma response. So it's a couple different things that are happening at the same time, mm-hmm. which just exacerbates all of that that physical response that I'm getting. So <laughs> that's it. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a, it, it's a lot. Yeah. Are you finding, is there anything that's helping? Cause we're going to be talking about stuff like this often. Right. And um, I think that's why we're noticing it more is we're having these serious yeah, conversations yeah. almost every single episode. So of course it's, yeah. it's happening more frequently, but is there anything that you're noticing is helpful? Uh, well, that's why I think I kind of explained it so that I can take those deep breaths when I need to, because, you know, before I didn't want it to appear like I was struggling to breathe or anything, mm-hmm. <laughs> like mm-hmm. trying to maintain this little persona in the right. in the podcast. But at the same time, I've got a very real issue going on. So it's probably just better to be honest about it and say, hey, if you see me do this, that's why. Mm-hmm. I- I'm hoping that it won't be as bad as we go on, but... And maybe now that I've said it out loud, which I find actually does help with most things. It often hopefully does. Hopefully that'll, yeah, hopefully that will help mitigate it a little bit. We'll mm-hmm. see. We'll see. But otherwise I'll be over here deep breathing. So. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. No, I know. I know. So yeah. But anyway, so that was my week. Some of it anyway. There was other stuff, but. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like there's been some stressful situations. Yeah, some stressful Let's stuff. Put it that way. Uh, stressful stuff with my kids this week. So that was that was with, with one of my children. So that 
you know, and I'm far away. There's nothing I can do. So mm-hmm. yep. that introduces a lot more stress too. Oh, I can only imagine. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, let's <laughs> let's go ahead and segue. Yes, let's do that. Into this week's episode. So we we started a series and we entitled it Trauma Trials. And then normally our series lasted four weeks, but Trauma Trials were kind of doing many series within the series, if you will. And right. so each month is a different topic. And last month we featured domestic violence and really spent some time looking at the dynamics that take place in domestic violence uh, relationships, and then what people can do to actually get help. This month, we're going to be looking at child abuse. And this is a tough topic. Very much so. And and so even before we jump into the the subject matter, I want to just make it clear, this is what we're taught. We're talking about child abuse. And so keep that in mind as we have the conversation, because if you're finding yourself triggered or this becomes too heavy or too serious, I want to encourage you to focus on self-care and take care of you. We are only here to provide information and offer ways that people can get support. And so uh, I ask that you kind of check yourself and and look into how you're going to handle this as, as we proceed with the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's good advice. Yeah, because as we've talked about plenty of times, everybody's going to have a different response. Mm-hmm. Everybody's may not be nervous laughter like mine, right. you know, or that feeling of not being able to breathe. There may be anger. There may be emotion that you're unable to control. So that is something that you have to keep track of. And I would say that if it, if it does become problematic for you, listen in small amounts, mm-hmm. maybe, mm-hmm. you know, don't do, try and do the whole thing at once. You know, or if, and I hate, Seth will kick me for saying this, but if there's an episode that's incredibly problematic for you, don't listen to it. I don't have a problem with that. Okay. I'm just saying, because I know you you want people listening. I do too. But at the same time, I want to make sure that people are okay listening. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm not forcing. I do. I wasn't insinuating that you didn't care about people. I do look at the downloads a lot. I I know you do. Honestly, I have to say this. And I know I told you this personally earlier, but I'm going to say this publicly. Uh Uh-oh. It makes me smile when I get a polo from you in which your face is all lit up, you're smiling, and you're so excited about how well everything's going. Because I, I think that is such a huge, huge leap forward for you <laughs> in a lot of things. <laughs> it just is. Oh, I do. And tend, I hope you recognize that. I do tend to be a little bit more negative around things. but No, I'm just saying that you, you have come, in the last few months, you have come very far in your mindset oh. about life in general. This is true. But about this kind of stuff specifically. And so I'm I'm really proud of you. And oh, I just feel you. like that needs to publicly be said. You do a lot of work on all of this. And I fully appreciate that. And I try to say that. But it makes me smile when I see your face all lit up and you're happy. And you're like, look at the numbers. This is so cool. And you don't have to quit sharing them with me. I know you made that comment earlier. You don't have to quit sharing them. Well, it's just, I share them a lot, but like, I just look, okay. you know, I look at it multiple times a day. So I know you do. Uh, and and if that makes you happy, then you should do that. And if does. sharing it makes you happy, you should do that. You're not annoying me with it. I'm just not out there looking at the numbers. That's all. I do. I mean, I, I check it every morning and every night and sometimes during the day. <laughs> you're a little bit obsessive. Is that what you're saying? I just a little bit. Yesterday we had 29, but today we've only had one, but we'll be putting out a, I know, I know, but we'll be putting out a new episode tonight. Well, I know midnight one ish, whenever I get done. So it'll, it'll be fixed soon, but let's, let's really focus in. Thank thank you for the segue again. 
Thank you for that. I know I'm amazing. I appreciate it. All the all the all the fame will take it. Okay, uh, okay. But let's let's go ahead and jump into this serious topic. And as a licensed clinician, and I in a previous podcast, I often got made fun of for saying that. But I, I truly, this subject <laughs> but matter you are. and this subject matter actually has relevance. As a licensed clinician, you know, one of the things I am is a mandated reporter and I have to be able to, I mean, I am held by law to file reports of child abuse and neglect whenever it's suspected. So this is a very relevant and serious thing, not just to my life, but to the lives of so many people and so many people who've actually been through these experiences. And I think it goes without saying, given the fact that this is on child abuse and it is part of the trauma trials, but I think it's fair to say that child abuse is a traumatic experience and a traumatic event. And I just want to point out the two definitions of those by the APA dictionary of psychology defines abuse as interactions in which one person behaves in a violent demeaning or invasive manner towards another person whether it be a child, a partner, some other person. And then it defines trauma similarly as an event in which a pertinent person witnesses or experiences a threat to his or her own personal life or physical safety or that of others and experiences fear, terror, or helplessness. Abuse is clearly a traumatic event. And regardless of the type of abuse that one experiences, victims have come to believe through this event that the world is not safe, that things are not just, and things are not predictable. Yeah. Would you agree? Oh, definitely. The thing that stands out there for me is not just. Mm Mm-hmm. And and again, I'm going to refer back to religion. I do that often, but I remember as a kid, wondering how God could let things like this happen. Like he's supposed to be a gracious and merciful and loving God. And yet these things are happening. I was experiencing these things. And did he just hate me? Was he angry at me? Had I done something wrong? Why would God allow that to happen? That's not just. And I don't know that I said it in that term. Like it's not just. But as an adult looking back, I can say that Mm -hmm. with clarity and say that's not justice at all. Mm -hmm. And it's problematic. And so I understand that mindset that that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the wrong to be made right. And often it is not. Mm-hmm. So It is not right. No. And it is messed up. And it, it's because of that before I even, before we even jump into really defining the components of child abuse, I want to level set everyone who is listening to us on Facebook live and everyone who listens to this episode on the podcast there's several things I want to mention. And Michelle, I, Michelle, you have my notes, correct? Mm-hmm, I do. I'm even going to suggest that we read this line for line. I read one, okay. you read one. I think okay. that we need to do this. I think that it's important. And so before we even jump into talking about the different forms, um, if you have experienced a traumatic event in your childhood, specifically something that involves abuse or neglect, I want you to know that what happened to you will never truly make sense. And I 
Michelle, I, you technically, I'm stealing that from you because you just mentioned that, but it's true. <laughs> what happened no, to you true. will never truly make sense. Also, your focus should not be to understand the abuse or the abuser, but rather to understand your own responses to the abuse and how the responses continue to impact your thoughts and your feelings and your behaviors. Mm. I think that's a really important thing. And I actually had that conversation today, as a matter of fact, not feeling, not trying to understand why somebody did what they did, but dealing with only yourself. So often in any type of event where it is, as we were talking about, not just, right? Mm -hmm. there, there's always this inclination then to place blame, right? Yes. When you've experienced this, your inclination is going to be to want to focus on the blame. Yeah which is right. I mean, we need to hold people accountable. I am in no way saying that we don't, but if we're looking at personal growth, personal growth doesn't come by placing blame. It comes by looking at our own situation right? and taking steps forward. And I think that's right. important. I mean, yeah, it's important. You are not confined to live in the past. While what has happened to you has been traumatic, what has happened has been horrible. You are not confined to stay there. Right. And going from there, you're not responsible. Mm -hmm. And letting go of that is very, very difficult because we are trying to, again, we're looking for that justice. So we're trying to figure that out and find, and we tend to take on responsibility that doesn't belong to us. I think we need to repeat that for the people in the back. <laughs> Hey, yeah, you are not you responsible. Are not responsible. Right. You did not deserve the abuse or what happened to you. And you did nothing to engender it. Mm -hmm. it, it you just didn't. That goes, that is solely on the shoulders of the person who did the abusing. And likewise, while what has happened to you has been traumatic. And while what has happened to you has resulted in difficulties in your life, you are not damaged. There is nothing and wrong with you. You're not a horrible person. I think that's a big one that we have to come to the conclusion of. Mm -hmm. And while this often will make you feel like you are all alone and it will lend itself to isolation. I want to encourage you to fight against that. You are not alone in your suffering. So many people have experienced similar things and know what it's like and can offer a listening ear. Also, you need to remember that it was a person or people in your life that chose to violate your personhood. And that violation resulted in your loss of sense of safe, a sense of safety and security. So what you're feeling is normal, natural, it, it, it just is. And so you can't blame yourself for that. You didn't take away your own security and safety. Somebody else did that. Mm -hmm. So those are great statements. And I think that those are almost something that people that are really, really struggling should maybe have to read every day. Like mm -hmm. it would be beneficial to you to have that like on your mirror in your bathroom or something and right. read that out loud to yourself every day. Having it on your window, I mean, on the mirror is really helpful, but Michelle, I'm going to just, I'm going to piggy. I'm just repeating you. I think that mm -hmm. saying it out loud yes. is an entirely different thing than just reading it. Yeah. 
Well, you know, I used to work with a life coach who made me do certain affirmations and he would make me video them, video myself saying them, which is incredibly uncomfortable, mm-hmm. by the way. Oh, I can imagine. And I, yeah, I would have to video that because what's happening is it's me speaking it back to me. First of all, I'm speaking it out loud to create the video and then the video is speaking it back to me. It was helpful. It was just really uncomfortable. Um, so you don't have to do a video, but reading these out loud to yourself is probably helpful. I would agree. <laughs> so I think that's a pretty good level set before we even yeah. start talking about this. Cause and again, I, I, we haven't even really defined this yet, but I, I, before we even go there, I, I want those things said. Yeah. So let, let's talk about what abuse is. I mean, I think it's pretty clear to understand that it is a horrible, senseless act or maybe even actions, right? But these are life altering experiences that often leave the person, the victim in these situations to carry the weight of the trauma they've endured forever. Right. Right. But what, what are, what are, what is abuse? What, what are we talking about? Well, anything that of course is let, let's say physical, it can be physical abuse. And, and again, I think we're going to differentiate here. There are lots of different types of abuse. Mm-hmm. We talked about that in domestic violence. It's the same here. They're going to be different types. One of the things though, the, in your notes, and I, I, this is something that really hits home for me is that it destroys the ability of the person being victimized to trust themselves mm. and in turn to trust others. That has played out very much in my life. I don't have a large group of people. I have one or two people that I trust and that takes me a while. And and quite honestly, if something happens that hits that trust, it takes this, I step back immediately. More difficult, however, is that it disallows you from trusting yourself. Mm -hmm. And so you're constantly second guessing your emotions, your actions, your thoughts, your beliefs, everything. Even your relationships, you, you're second guessing everything because you don't trust yourself to have a clear picture because that, that has been destroyed for you. And that's, that's really sad in all honesty. It really is. I feel like we should just, we could sit with that comment yeah, and just sit there for a minute, <laughs> but let's talk about the different types. I mean, I, I, as you mentioned, Michelle, it can be varied. So there's different types of abuse that can happen during childhood. Um, But when we talk about child abuse, we're specifically talking about emotional, physical, or sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. or neglect. And I think it's very important that we mention neglect because neglect can be almost just as damaging as as any of the other forms of abuse. Well, yeah, for sure. And it's often overlooked, I think is your point. And it's a valid point. Yes. So I think it's pretty clear. Uh, I think physical, I mean, I feel like these are so self-explanatory, but let's, let's, (laughs) let's talk, let's talk about it. Yeah. When we're talking about physical abuse, we're talking about the intentional use of physical force. So this can be anything involving like hitting, kicking, shaking, burning, or maybe any forms of force. Uh, that would potentially leave a bruise or, a, or results in a broken bone or even red marks. I mean, any type of physical yeah. force against another human is physical abuse. Right. Yeah. And, you know, all of them are traumatic. Yes. All of these are, every type of abuse that we're talking about is traumatic. 
And But I think that we have to mention here, and, and I don't know if maybe you would rather this be mentioned somewhere else, but I'm going to mention it here because I'm much older than you. I, I grew up in a time when corporal punishment was the norm. Yes. And it was considered good parenting mm-hmm. to use corporal punishment to control your child, which often resulted in children facing what we would, what we would easily define now as abuse. They were facing then as just simple discipline or correction. And it was actually lauded and applauded as though it were virtuous because you were controlling your child. You know, it's not unusual in the church to hear spare the rod and spoil the child. And many parents took that to heart. So when you're talking about physical abuse, we're not talking about things done necessarily in anger often. Mm -hmm. It can be something that is considered, oh, this is me correcting my child, but it's inflicting damage on that child. Now, I know that's that's a big subject. I know that that's a subject all in of itself. Yeah, it is. As to whether corporal punishment is okay, if it does any psychological or emotional damage to the child. Because most people will say, well, I I turned out fine. I was beat all the time for correction and I was fine. Yeah, that doesn't... You know, but are you? And I think that you, know, you might think you are, but maybe there's things that you're not aware of. So I think that really has to be mentioned there. It not It's not necessarily this hidden thing that sometimes this... If we're talking about physical abuse, we're talking about something that's actually applauded as as good parenting, or used to be anyway. Right. No, I think that's yeah. an important call out. Yeah. Most of the time, if a person is receiving a spanking, though, they don't walk away with a bruise. Often, I mean, they, if you were in my they house, they can't. Okay, well, <laughs> that I do not doubt, considering you are a bodybuilder. Uh, no, no, oh, no. I'm talking about your me own, as a child. Your own childhood. My own childhood. And I can tell you that other people that I know grew up with very domineering parents mm-hmm. um, and had actual items. I had. I can't even tell you the number of things that I was spanked with Really. when I was a kid. The number of items. Yeah, and, I'm not okay and, with any and of that. And here's what's always laughable about that to me is when you ask, well, why would you use that instead of your hand? Well, it hurts my hand. Well, yeah. <laughs> so do you don't see that that translates to that hurting your child? I mean, but I guess the answer back to that is always, well, it's supposed to hurt the child. This is correction. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's interesting I mean, how times have changed because oh, that's very much so. not, I mean, yeah. we, we know specifically, if, especially if someone is dealing as a child is dealing with other things beyond that situation, uh, that that event of corporal punishment can actually be a triggering event that could actually spot oh, put them sure. at 100 could spot them into a spiral and uh it's why we see other bigger problem behaviors down the yeah. line yeah it'd be i think it i think that at some point and i may not just not know right now but it would be interesting to see some studies done mm-hmm. on people that were victims of corporal punishment in their childhood and how their lives look now, mm-hmm. you know, if they associate that with any kind of trauma in their life or, you know, uh, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is, is possible addictions and things like that. Is there some correlation? And maybe there are studies that I just don't, I'm not aware of any, but I mean, I'm, I think that would be interesting. I'm sure that there are, um, yeah. but I've never done the study. Yeah. I haven't either. So, but anyway, but yeah, physical abuse, the- more common than we think. Yes. And then there's sexual abuse, which I think this is, again, self-explanatory. 
Uh, however, let's go ahead and define this. Um, this involves pressuring or forcing a child to engage in sexual acts. It includes behaviors such as fondling, penetration, uh, molestation, um, or exposing a child to other sexual activities. Clearly, that's an issue uh, and not okay in any way, shape, or form to a child under the age of 18. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to say a whole lot there because that causes too much anxiety. So I get it. Can we talk about emotional? Yes. Okay. What is it? Um, refers to any kind of behavior that harms a child's self-worth, uh, their emotional well-being, um, things like name calling, uh, shaming or rejection, uh, withholding love, threatening them. Um, again, this kind of stuff often happens in the course of parenting mm -hmm. as a way to try and control or manipulate your child into doing what you want them to do. But it is doing damage to them. And I don't recall ever being called names. Um, we, my, my family didn't do that, but I can tell you that the shaming definitely was there. Rejection, threatening for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, threatening always, always came right before the physical stuff. So. Did it. <laughs> always, always. So, excuse me. And in my case, um, I actually, it, I would be sat down and it would be explained to me why they were about to use physical violence. Hmm. What I had done to precipitate that, why I deserved it, why it meant that they loved me if they were willing to do that. Now, there's something that will warp a child's idea of love. I would say so. Um, yeah. So it, there was almost this need inside of me to say, can you just hit me and get it over with? Mm -hmm. You know, and I think in our lived experience interview that we did yesterday, we had that discussion about where you just want to ramp it up, get it over with so everything can resolve again. Right. And and so that I would get that discussion and it would be a, an hour to two hour discussion about why I was about to be hit. Mm. And then I still had to endure being hit. Right. So it, it was so frustrating. I was like, I'd rather you just hit me and get it over with. <laughs> Let's right. just get done. Because the buildup so, is just. Yeah, the buildup is horrible. It's too much. Yeah. yeah. A lot of anxiety producing buildup. Mm -hmm. So. So yeah, emotional abuse often overlooked as well, but yeah. definitely very serious. Well, I think it's probably the most overlooked of them all. Honestly, I would agree, honestly, yeah. I, I think that most people don't uh, categorize it as emotional abuse when it is. Right. Um, and then again, I, I think neglect is pretty self-explanatory, but this is a failure to meet a child's basic physical and or emotional needs. Um, these needs can include things such as housing, food, clothing, education, even access to health care uh, right. or medical care uh, can be classified as abuse um, and neglect. In fact, I remember I've, as a professional, not currently, okay, not in my current job, but in a previous role, <laughs> I have hotline parents who refuse to uh, get their child and to see a therapist when they were suicidal because oh, that's that's, that's neglect it is yeah um I, and there's some argument to be made and i know this will piss some people off but there's some argument to, to be made that uh withholding medical care in the name of religion is is problematic as well yeah that's i see it as problem i'll just go on the record and say i see that as problematic that's something i don't want to touch yeah i know because it's a big hot button issue but i will go on record as saying i have a, pro a big problem with that I mean, I do a too. Big problem. 
I mean, I think that when there's a need, there's a need, no matter what your religious belief is. And sorry. Well, there's also an, there's also an automatic assumption that your child is going to end up believing the same things that you believe Mm -hmm. and would want that same thing. And that's erroneous. It is. And it it negates the autonomy of that child. Mm -hmm. And while I understand that they're not old enough to take care of themselves fully, that is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be building an autonomous person that is capable of life, a healthy life on their own. When you are making uh, uh, decisions like that that affect their their well-being, you are taking their voice out of the conversation. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, do you hear the passion here with Michelle when we talk about religion? (laughs) If so, you really need to check out her upcoming book that's going to come out here in a week or two. It's called Into the Gray. Make sure you can check that out at your nearest... uh, bookstore it should be no it's locations. gonna be on amazon it's gonna be okay your nearest <laughs> i don't think it's gonna be your nearest amazon browser you can you find go. michelle's book into the gray it's coming okay but it doesn't have anything to do with healthcare. So. to a to a <laughs> amazon near you yeah and amazon near you but i i think another thing that needs to be included with neglect and it's not in your list is withholding that basic comfort and love mm. um because I know there's been studies that show that, that children that are not held and loved and cared for, it, it's detrimental to them. Yes. So that I think that has to be included there as well. I don't know that it goes so far as to be abusive, but it should be mentioned. At the well, least. it's lack of nurture, which yeah. is, we know, but it, it would fall under neglect, if anything. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. But yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about some of the statistics around this. I mean, I can okay. we could we could really jump into defining each of these in depth, but I think that they really are. I mean, they're pretty straightforward. Uh, but let's look at some of the stats. Um, okay. I, I found some of these stats to be disturbing, problematic, upsetting, mm-hmm. disturbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all of the normal words. Yes. So ninety-one percent. Child sexual abuse is perpetuated by someone the child or child's family knows. Mm -hmm. So it's not happening by some random stranger. Right. Yeah, we're very good about teaching our children the whole stranger danger thing, Mm -hmm. which, of course, we should. Um, But as this stat shows us, the majority of the problem is not somebody they don't know. It's somebody they do know. Right. And generally, if it's someone they don't know, that's when we're talking about a serious crime like murder and things like that, which are far or kidnapping, things like that, which are far less. I mean, they're very, very, very rare. Whereas in comparison, in comparison, child abuse, this is happening every day in households all over America. And it is disturbing and understanding that 91% of the time, the abuse is being perpetuated by someone inside the internal circle. Right. Or near. And the, and, the, and the problem with that is often it's a parent. And, and so the child really doesn't feel like they have any kind of recourse. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like, oh, uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so, let me tell my mom or dad. A lot of times it's mom or dad. Mm-hmm. And so the child really is left without an avenue for disclosure or help. So. Which makes them feel completely trapped and it's why so many times things don't get done and actions aren't taken and we keep kids in very dangerous situations right what's one on this list michelle that you found um stuck out to you they so many of them stuck out to me 
I, I think the, the probably the the first one is the most startling to me. One in four girls and one in 13 boys experience child sex abuse at some point. So the prevalence for girls to experience it is much higher. Yes. Um, which makes sense. Which is just astonishing to me. I, I guess I... I don't know why it is. Maybe it's just because I identify with that. So that makes it more startling to me. I would assume that's probably what it is. Um, because one in 13 is certainly no great thing either. So, well, one in 13 tw- I mean, is far better than one in four. That's 25%. Well, yeah, 25% of girls <laughs> have suffered some kind of sexual abuse at some point in their childhood. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about over the course of their life. 25% of women have had some kind of sexual abuse. We're talking about in their childhood. So the first 18 years of their life. And I don't know what the statistics say on this, but I would say that the majority, that's probably younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah. no, Rather I... than the older, because they're more apt to say something or to fight back. Mm-hmm. So. Or tell somebody. How disturbing is that? Yeah. Yeah. Upsetting. Very upsetting. It's estimated that at least, keywords here, at least... Mm-hmm. One in seven children in the United States has experienced child abuse and or neglect within the past year. Right. One in seven. Um, I think as it pertains to, obviously, our, our bent here on mental health, this one stands out. Adult survivors of childhood abuse are more likely to experience mental health difficulties, mm-hmm. including depression, anxiety, bipolar disorder, PTSD, eating disorders, and substance abuse disorders. I mean, that's not, that's, I mean, it's disturbing, but that doesn't surprise me. Right. Right. Now here's something interesting. And I think I may have mentioned this to you before. I don't think I've mentioned it on here. My therapist is a PhD and her, her specialty is trauma. Mm -hmm. I asked her what her dissertation is and I found this utterly fascinating and I'm going to go read her dissertation. Um, Her study was on children with ADHD and the event of trauma in their life, as in they them needing help for trauma rather than ADHD. Mm-hmm. And she said when she pulled the data, she had over 2,000 cases. Out of those 2,000s, when she started pulling out the data that was specific to the child having trauma in their past, she almost did not have enough of a sample left to prove ADHD. Mm. And she said, so the interesting thing is that they were probably medicating something that needed to be treated, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So they're medicating ADHD and behavior instead of going to the root of that behavior and figuring out what's wrong, which in most cases was trauma of some sort. Welcome to, in the, their, American, in their childhood. Welcome to the American healthcare yes. system. Yeah. Anyway, I thought it was a fascinating subject. I was like, oh my God, that's, that's amazing. And she's like, yeah, and more work needs to be done in that area. And I'm like, I would guess so. Um, but again... You're looking at all of these mental health issues that are subsequent to people facing these kind of abusive situations or trauma within their early childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, so and it's very hard to make that correlation of, oh, I drink too much because, hey, I suffered child abuse. But there is correlation. Yes. You know, and again, our lived our lived uh, experience interview, we talked a little bit about that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. about what you experienced in childhood sets you up for what you're willing to accept as you get older. So interesting correlations there, at least to me, I find it fascinating. So. It is fascinating. And yeah. we are going to listen to that, a portion of that lived experience interview here in a minute. Right. But later on in this series, we're going to have an episode. I think it's probably going to be week three, but we're going to spend some time really looking at the impact 
of child abuse on individuals. Uh, We did the same thing during the domestic violence series. And I think it was actually very useful um, and and provided a lot of information. And so we're going to be doing the same uh, with this topic. But I just want to provide a really quick review of what some of that impact is. We're again, Mm -hmm. going to be going uh, more in depth later on in the series, but um, from the outset uh, here at the overview, um, you know, I think it's pretty clear that children who are abused or neglected um, do suffer immediate physical injuries. I mean, I think Mm -hmm. that that's pretty clear. Yeah, obviously. Obvious cuts, bruises, broken bones. Um, And then when we look at the emotional and the psychological problems, uh, we often can see uh, impaired social uh, emotional skills. And as Michelle just mentioned in one of the statistics, uh, mental health issues or concerns like depression and anxiety. Yeah. Chronic abuse can result in toxic stress, which is interesting, uh, which can change actual brain development. Yes. Um, and increase the risk for problems like post-traumatic stress disorder. We already mentioned that. And learning attention dis- uh, disorders, memory difficulties, things like that. Your brain is, is adaptive. And so you literally, in the course of these things happening, especially in a child's developing brain, you actually are creating neural pathways mm-hmm. that that child is then going to operate from. And it's very difficult to change those because oftentimes we don't recognize that we need to. Exactly. Yeah. So, and I think we talked a little bit about that in our overview on trauma in general, the physiology and the brain, the brain science of what's happening in trauma. Mm-hmm. We did actually. Yeah. So that's a good review of some of the uh, topics that we covered during that, right. during that series. Um, well, let's go ahead and let's listen in uh, to an interview that Michelle and I had yesterday. And Michelle, since you know uh, this guest, Do you mind telling us a little bit about who we're going to hear? This is my friend, Frank Garcia. I've known Frank for, I think we said over 20 years. Uh, We attended church together for quite a few of those years. He was a part of our lives when my children were younger. He actually, for a long period of time, helped me with my kids, taking them to school and stuff like that uh, in the mornings. He was just, he was an all around good guy. You know, he was the guy at church that always volunteered, you know, did a lot of work in the children's ministry and stuff like that. And uh, all the kids loved him. I mean, I can still hear certain kids' voices calling him Frankie, you know, and so not my kids, even other kids. So he's just, he's, he's been a friend for a long time. And of course, I don't see him very often now. We're friends on Facebook, but I know that he's a part of our mental community mm-hmm. and has, has found value in that. So I appreciate him saying that to us yesterday. That, that was, was helpful. I was honored um, that he said that. Yeah. But he, so he came forward and said, hey, I'd like to share some of my story from my childhood. And so that was the conversation that we had with him yesterday. And in this first clip, uh, Frank is going to mention something that was actually brought up during the domestic violence series, uh, in which case we had individuals share a story about their parents, um, difficulty, you know, an abusive parent and kind of feeling like they were walking around on eggshells. and kind of waiting for something to to happen. And so we're going to play just about a couple minutes here of that. So give me one second. Mm-hmm. We would be in situations in our homes, in my home, and we would, I could remember my mom saying, I'm just waiting for your dad to explode. Mm. And, and, and getting, and I don't, it, it was, yeah, I'll start there. It, it was, it was, waiting for my waiting for your dad to explode and 
making sure everything was perfect so the ignition like that. didn't mm-hmm. start the dynamite stick, I guess. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard because I had to be perfect, or I felt I had to be perfect to not ignite the stick. And if my brother ignited, I was off the hook. Right. But the 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 dynamite stick would get ignited it would explode and then there was just this weird sense of calmness after the episode and everyone it's like we could breathe and we we could go on um the the biggest thing in that after the explosion and i've shared this i think um with you michelle uh what's up the word forgiveness was never part of our vocabulary I can remember one episode. I was truly sorry for what I did and caused the explosion, the the eggshell thing. And I remember talking to my mom about it and saying, "Mom, I'm really sorry. Well, you need to go in and really apologize to your father then, and just say you're sorry." And I did. I was sincere, and I went in and I said, "Dad, I'm sorry for what I did." And his response to me, "I'll never forget it." If you have to say sorry, you should have never done it in the first place. Mm, yeah. And like you don't already know that because you're apologizing. <laughs> right. So I never knew the word sorry. I never and I never accepted sorry from other people. So that growing up that's hard because people do you wrong and they don't always mean to do you wrong, but and then I found myself with that not being able to say sorry, always finding excuses for my actions. Well, I identify with that and I told him that yesterday. I understood I understood the whole build up, like I mentioned earlier, that build up waiting for the explosion, just wanting the explosion to get past so you can feel relaxed again. Like you know it's over and mm-hmm. and now maybe we can all breathe again, like Frank said. Yeah, and I totally get the whole forgiveness thing. You you want that forgiveness, but yet it's never recognized. You want to forgive, but you don't know how because there's no justice like we were talking about earlier. So you have this very warped sense of what your response is supposed to be. You know, and and so I think that and and you can tell Frank Frank is somebody who's a compassionate person, so you can hear in his voice like I, that that almost that confusion like I wanted I wanted to say I was sorry. I wanted him to understand I was sorry. But what I hear there is what we've already touched on. He was taking responsibility for an explosion that wasn't his responsibility. Mm-hmm. Now, he says it was his based on some action. He may have done something incorrect or wrong, but he's not responsible for the for the the outburst that came because of it. That's right. solely on the person who per- perpetrated that. Well, and he also mentioned, you know, like, well, if his brother ended up causing or igniting right. the stick, well, then it was okay. Which which places this is into an interesting thing to where it's like everyone is constantly on edge just waiting. Like it might right. be me, it might be you. Who knows? We don't know what's going to set off this alarm. So it literally kind of puts into place this everything is unpredictable right. and I don't know what's going to result in an outburst. Right. Well, it also sets, it also sets everybody at odds with one another. Mm-hmm. It manipulates behavior towards one another because 
everybody's trying to keep the peace. But then if somebody loses their temper or steps out of line and, and causes this, this emotional outburst, now all eyes are on them. Like, how did, why did you do that? This is your fault. And we start assigning blame to somebody else instead of the person who's actually responsible for the situation. Which leads us directly into our second clip. Okay. Um, in which case, uh, he's going to share with us about how this environment uh, kind of taught him how to become manipulative or lie. Mm-hmm. And really that being not a, a position to lie or, or manipulate in an, uh, a selfish way, but in a way to survive. Right, to protect. So let's, let's hear that. Expectations were so high and I would always fall so short. I learned to manipulate or lie to get through the situation. Good point. A, I was a good manipulator. I yeah. manip- and I remember you talking about controlling the situation and that's manipulation. I mean, a lot of that's manipulation and, right. and I used to do that. I used to want to control. When I couldn't control my two worlds, when a world at school would meet and then my, my home life would meet, oh my God, and they didn't match up. Oh, that was that was terrible. <laughs> but that's, that's the emotional, I mean, as a kid, I'm thinking, okay, how do I not ignite the bomb that's going to go off? How do I, what do I say to not let it happen? Right. You know, my my actions didn't meet my expectations. It was just a lot going on in my head all the yeah. time. So It's a tough place to live. <laughs> it is. And I think he eloquently put that. Maybe eloquently is not the right word. But he he described this in a, in a way that was it made sense, mm-hmm. um, but that the environment itself forced him to utilize those behaviors. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and again, I think I told him in that in that portion of the interview, like I identified with that. I I know that I became very good at lying when I was a kid, in an attempt to to protect myself. I, I, one instance stands out dramatically that resulted in physical violence. And I was lying to protect myself because I knew that if, even if I said the truth, it was, it was going to be an ugly situation and it still was an ugly situation. But I think that's, again, it's a learned behavior that, that a child begins to understand is necessary, which again, can then lead into that same kind of behavior or manipulation as they grow into an adult, unable to accept responsibility, hiding things so that they don't upset other people to avoid confrontation, um, or in just a need to protect themselves somehow from Mm -hmm. some perceived threat. Mm -hmm. And so it it becomes problematic uh, as you move into adulthood. You know, if, if your, if your go-to recourse is to lie about something, but that's learned. Right. That's conditions. Absolutely. Learned and conditioned. Yeah, very much so. Well, you know, and I think one of the if you're hearing the in hearing this, well, I'm just we're going to edit all of that out. <laughs> in, yeah. well, you're in it now, pal. Just just spit it out. <laughs> in listening to us talk about this, and and even kind of sharing portions of, um, of his story. If that's something you want to hear, I do want to let you know that these episodes will be released on Patreon um, to people that support us financially. We really want to take care of people who are sharing their personal lived experience with us. Um, And so we aren't making the whole interview public, 
But as we wrap up this episode, Frank did share with us some feedback and some things that he would offer as a suggestion to someone else who was in a similar situation, um, who was experiencing some form of abuse or neglect. And so I want us to be able to listen to his, his recommendations and feedback of what he would recommend to someone else. It's a word of encouragement you would, you would share. You're not alone. Talk. Talk. Mm-hmm. Even though you can't express, sometimes you can't express it because you don't know what's going on. Just talk, and for the adults in that person's life, listen, listen. It might not all make sense, and you may get a layer here and there. But and we're we're in a different time period than we were thirty years ago, uh, where they buried a lot of this, and this never existed. We're in a different generation now. I think I'm hoping that more parents are willing to listen to their children at first. Um, I know if I had said anything, it would have gone to deaf ears. But um, yeah, for the child, you're not alone. Reach out. Even, Even if it comes in a form of question, like, I'm experiencing this. Why? Why am you know? Just just talk, mm-hmm. and and other than the abuser, I, I believe everyone else is a safe person to go talk to, because we would talk. We'll go talk to a fireman. Go talk to a policeman. Go talk to, you know, your pastor, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, just go talk, even to your other friends, because other friends may be able to share over time with their parents and it would just trigger or not trigger, but it would start a a chain reaction maybe. So, yeah, yeah. I I think one that they're not alone and two, it's okay to talk and it's okay to have feelings. Right. It's okay to feel what you're feeling. Good, bad, or whatever it is. Yeah. So okay to feel it. I think that that's so important that it is okay to feel it and that our feelings are valid no matter what you, whatever you're feeling. And I think that we have to be very careful. Um, again, I know I'm beating a dead, a, a drum here that I've, I've beat over and over through several of our series. But again, remember that reactions to this kind of stuff are subjective. Mm-hmm. And because you have experienced abuse and you didn't react a certain way, that doesn't mean somebody else won't. You have to allow each person to to react the way it in that's comfortable for them without mm-hmm. putting an expectation of right or wrong on it without dismissing it because it doesn't look like your experience and i think we have to keep saying that over and over because it's too easy to generalize and say well i was abused and i didn't i didn't have that problem so i think that's something else well you can't say that and i agreed ditto <laughs> seconded it <laughs> Yeah. And this is just an overview. So Yeah. This was just <laughs> this was just scratching the surface. Yeah. In fact, let's let's talk a little bit about what we're planning on doing throughout the series. I we are wanting a lived experience for every episode. Mm-hmm. We want a lived experience interview for every single episode because I think it helps really provide context and makes this real life. Yeah. 
Right. And so today in this episode, we're just provided an overview with some statistics kind of setting the stage. Episode two, we're going to look at why does this happen? We're going to look at situations that may occur and some of those situational risk factors, like whether that be economics, generational, parenting, increased stressors, resources, education. And we're going to explore some of the reasons why these things occur. Mm -hmm. The third episode, we're going to look at impact. We did the same thing for domestic violence, except in this series, we're really going to look at the symptoms from a child's perspective, like not a child's perspective. We're going to look at the symptoms of a child who's experienced the abuse. And then we're also going to look at maybe what are some of those remaining things that someone who's an adult might experience who experienced child abuse, but never received treatment or didn't take those steps. What what's happening to them. And then we're going to wrap out the series, really looking at treatment and social service considerations, which I'm going to get really excited about this episode because I'm all about that's all your shit right there. I'm all about trauma informed (laughs) care. And I think it is so important. So we're going to talk about that, but we're also going to look at treatment approaches for the individual, really looking at that process of recovery with some helpful takeaways and and maybe really not maybe we will be reassuring you of the no guilt and the no shame. Right. And in fact, I want to come back to that as we wrap out this episode before I hand this over to Michelle to provide our hotline number and all of the wonderful features that we can (laughs) offer to you. um, I really just want to repeat, you are not responsible. You did not deserve what happened to you. Right. You are not damaged. There is nothing wrong to wrong with you. You are not a horrible person. Something was taken from you. You didn't do anything wrong. And I want that repeated. Now, for those who may be interested in our show and have like suggestions or want to get involved or want to buy our merchandise, like what (laughs) or what they want to join our Patreon to learn about or hear the interviews of the people we've shared part of these episodes. Where do they go? Um, I don't recall the phone number, and you know that. You're trying to put it me on the spot right now. 314 <laughs> That is a Google number that comes to Seth Showalter, and I will be more than happy to respond to any text or phone call. If you have comments, suggestions, feedback, we're here. Yeah, Seth's very good at that stuff. I just show up and talk into a microphone. He does all the hard work. So just so everybody knows, giving credit where credit's due. Okay, so that's the hotline number. What about the other stuff? What else we got? Uh, If you're interested, we do have a Facebook group you can be a part of. It's just a community of people to support one another and to share their ideas, to share their hurt, to share their experiences, to ask questions, whatever the case may be. As usual, I will caution you that Seth and I do participate in there, Seth more than I. However, we are not your personal therapist. We cannot speak to specific events in your life. We can only offer generalized information because we are not licensed to do that specifically for you. So keep that in mind, but definitely be a part of the group because I think there's great amount of value to it. And we have some really wonderful people in there and our our moderators are great. They really do a good job. They do. We also have Marco Polo. Group. However, it's bad. I, yeah, it's yeah, not happening. The, I mean, I don't but know. But I don't know I, why, listen. because I love Marco Polo. I, I do love too. Marco Polo. I do too. And since I left, 
I don't have a Marco Polo community I anymore, know. and I wanted a mental one, but no one. Honestly, the only interaction Seth gets on Marco Polo now is my traffic rants, which he Pretty got much. Like, two or three of them today. So. I got one today, and I was thrilled. <laughs> However, I was kind of rude and commented back to Michelle, and I was like, Michelle. Oh, do I need gonna, to call the are police? Are you going to be okay or do I need to call 911? <laughs> and she did not respond to that. Until That's because I was got, busy yelling at another driver. So, Well, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me. Until it got time for us to record and then she's suddenly around. Well, you know, I came home and took a nap. I told you that. I needed sleep. But no. But Marco Polo, if you're unfamiliar with Marco Polo, it's basically texting. It's video texting. And it's so much easier than actually typing everything out with it your really little thumbs. <laughs> it's it so really much easier. You hit a button, it records your video of what you want to say. You turn the button off and it goes to the other person. They watch it when they want. They respond when they want. It's it's so easy. So look into that. Seth needs Seth needs a Marco I need Polo friends. community. <laughs> I can't I can't carry this load by myself. There's oh, only please. so many road rage incidents that happen. I'll take <laughs> I get really excited though when Michelle's at the gym and she's like doing a panorama of the gym and I get to see all the muscular <laughs> you men get to, you get to see that are barely wearing anything. <laughs> I'm like, ah. So, oh, so you're interested in all the background. Now I see what's I going know on. You're a bodybuilder. <laughs> mm-hmm. Now when you see the same people Anyhow. sweating and grunting all the time, it's not yeah. that big of a deal anymore. <laughs> Shut up, Seth. Did you just, uh, did, did just, you just define up. marriage? Did you just define marriage? I'm a little confused. Oh, my God. This is why I'm not married. Okay, there I think go. it's time for us to get offline. Yeah, we probably uh, should. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today. Uh, again, you can even hear, we're having a little fun, right? Sure. We're talking about something serious. We've got to have some, some humor to lighten it up. So again, uh, our hotline number is 314-690-5005. You can check out our Facebook community as well as our Facebook page. We have a website, mental-podcast.com. On that website, you can access everything, everything mental, including our merch, our merchandise, um, our Patreon, our Facebook group. You can even listen to websites on the website. Uh, sorry, you can even listen to websites. You can even listen to episodes on the website, right. <laughs> as well as find an entire list of resources to lead you to things that might be of help. So please feel free to check that out, and we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody.